and welcome to Tax Break. My name is Rob Kovacev, and I'm a tax partner at Miller & Chevalier in Washington, D.C. Tonight, I'm very, expected to, I'm very excited to show you uh, an interview with a friend of mine who is an expert in many fields of tax, including our main topic today, which is the new broker regulations dealing with crypto and digital asset transactions. With that, I'd like to introduce John Scheneker, who is the Government Relations and Regulatory Strategy Director for TaxFit, a fintech company that helps enterprise and governments manage information involving digital assets for tax and accounting purposes. Before that, he was a senior investigative counsel for Senator Charles Grassley on the Senate Finance Committee staff, where he led the committee's 2020 bipartisan investigation into syndicated conservation easement transactions. Prior to that, he was counsel to House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady during the 2017 tax reform effort. From 2007, 2015, John was a trial attorney for the Department of Justice's Tax Division, where he litigated high-profile shelter cases, most notably the STARS foreign tax credit generator cases. In the 2021 Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, Congress amended the broker reporting provisions of Section 6045 to cover transactions involving cryptocurrency and other digital assets. On August 25th this year, Treasury released a huge 282-page package of proposed regulations implementing that statutory change. The proposed regulations generally focus on changes to Treasury Regulation 16045-1 and would require brokers, including crypto trading platforms, crypto payment processes, and certain crypto wallets to file information returns on sales or exchanges of crypto and other digital assets. They would also have to provide taxpayers statements on the new form, Form 1099-DA. Other aspects of the proposed regulations provide guidance on the computation of gain and loss and the basis of digital assets under Sections 1001 and 1012. These significant changes to the information reporting regime will result in reporting of potentially millions of new transactions. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to John. And my first question to you, John, is, for someone who's brand new to the proposed regs, what are the most important things to know? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be you, and uh, it's nice to see you again. Um, and thank you all for, for watching. Um, again, my name is John Scheneker, and um, we're going to talk about um, what is in the broker reporting regs for digital assets for the crypto industry. And as you asked, what are the big things to know in that 282 pages of proposed regulations? Um, just as a little bit of background, those regulations were uh, published in the Federal Register on August 29th. There's a 60-day comment period making um, comments due to Treasury on those proposed regs on October 30th um, on regulations.gov. Um, what Of those 282 pages, what are the big things to know? Um, there's a lot to know, obviously, in that much um, proposed reg, um, but uh, I and we here at TaxBit kind of break it down into three categories of things that um, are most notable. Um, if you're, you know, I have a specific interests, um, there's going to be obviously more things than this. But the most notable things are one, the timeframes. When do things under the proposed um, rules, when would they happen? Number two, and this has been a huge question since IHAA passed the Senate and was signed into law in November 2021 by the president, who is a broker um, of digital assets? And number three, um, once this once reporting starts, what do you have to put 
what as a broker do you have to put on a form 1099-DA, which is the form they will use, hasn't been proposed yet, but once that comes out and you have to start reporting, what do you have to put on that? So number one, um, timeframes. Um, under the timeframes allowed, when would brokers have to start collecting information and when would they have to start reporting it? Um, the place to start there is, well, what does the law say? What does the statute say? What does the IIJA, uh, the, the infrastructure law say? Um, under the statute, um, brokers were supposed to start tracking their customers' trades um, starting on January 1st of 2023, this year. Um, and then a year later in January 2024, they were supposed to start reporting. That's the statute. Very late last year, about a week before the new year in 2022, um, the IRS put out a notice saying, okay, before we come up with final regulations, sit tight. Don't do any of that. Um, and what the proposed regs uh, say is we're now basically looking at a two-year delay from what is in the statute. Um, starting uh, at first, uh, the first date to know would be January 1st, 2025. That is when, under the proposed regs, um, brokers of digital assets would have to start tracking their customers' trades so that a year later, in January 2026, they can do 1099 reporting, Form 1099 reporting for those customers for the 2025 year. Now, that is for what we call gross proceed reporting. What did a customer sell a digital asset for? If he or she sold it for $100, then report in January 2026, $100. A year later, we will, under the proposed regs, we would get what's called cost basis reporting, which would help both the customers and the IRS determine how much tax is actually owed on that sale, meaning what did this customer buy it for? What is his or her basis in the asset? And what did they sell it for? What is the gross? What are the gross proceeds of that sale? That is something that will happen a year later under the proposed regs, which would be for the 2026 tax year. And so in January 2027, brokers would have to know what their customers are selling their stuff for their digital assets for in 2026 with one catch, which in the treasury is proposing that those brokers who have a reason to know of their customers cost bases and assets going back to the beginning of 2023 in 2027 for the 2026 year, you will have to know that cost basis going back to 2023. Their rationale in those regulations was that, well, that's when the statute said start. Um, so you should start that. You should, you should know when your customers or what your customers cost bases and digital assets was as of this past January 1st, so that you can start incorporating that into 1099 reporting in January, 2027 for the 2026 tax year. Got all that. Um, those are the proposed timeframes um, that brokers should know. Um, for that. And, and this is something that, um, it, it, that can be tricky. Um, even if you technically have it uh, or formally have it in some form as a broker, this information going back to 2023, oftentimes what happens is that information is in some way, shape or form in the entity's possession 
but they're not kind of consolidated in a digestible form for tax reporting. So that's something that would-be brokers under this reporting regime would have to start assembling now or sometime in the near future for 2026 tax year in January 2027. Um, beyond that is um, the, the biggest question, the question that everybody has had over the last couple of years since uh, the Infrastructure Act passed is, who is a broker? And you kind of mentioned this in your uh, introduction. Um, there are about five different categories of broker, more than that, but I kind of lumped them into five, maybe six, depending on how you look at it, categories of broker. Um, the first category is um, what we call in the industry centralized exchanges. Um, those are the um, exchanges, brokers, what have you, that we hear about that are somewhat, you know, household names that generally let users have an account at their service where they can, you know, give cash money, fiat, as we call it in the industry, um, have an account and then trade for digital assets like Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, that sort of thing. They're what's called on offerings. You can go from digital assets to cash and any other direction. Um, there's very little um, debate. Uh, there had been very little debate about whether those entities are brokers under the new rules. No one really contested that. The big one, the big um, thing that is frankly causing industry a lot of, 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 of kind of consternation, I guess you'd say, is um, whether um, uh, platforms that are generally known as DeFi, which is decentralized finance, um, are brokers. And Treasury has proposed in the regulations that yes, in fact, DeFi um, would be considered brokers. For those of you watching who don't kind of, well, what's DeFi, what does that mean? Um, DeFi is uh, decentralized finance, are platforms, websites that users of digital assets can go to and trade their assets, sell their assets, exchange their assets, lend their assets, do a host of different things depending on what the platform allows, generally shy of trading for cash, getting cash in return for digital assets. Um, it's, 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 it's a system, it's, there are protocols in which for the most part, you don't have accounts at websites. You can just go into them, plug your digital wallets in and upload your digital assets, trade them as you see fit. And they're governed by what's called smart contracts. If you enter into a trade or some other transaction um, with some other counterparty anywhere throughout the world, for the most part, you don't log in with a username and password and say, hi, it's me. I'm doing this now. You just you just go up and do it. Um, and Having to do tax reporting, if you were a DeFi protocol, would probably mean that has to change, um, which is that you'd, you'd have to start knowing who your customers, kind of your customers, are in that situation. And I won't kind of touch on the issues among that because that's a very sensitive position, um, but that's, that's something that um, industry will have a lot to say in the notice and comment process on because the proposed regs are, would essentially be asking um, that part of the digital asset ecosystem to make what they would see as pretty fundamental changes to the way they do business. Um, the third kind of entity that would be types of entities that would have to be brokers under the proposed regs are um, digital asset 
hosted wallet providers that are also, and the exact wording is, uh, principles in the sale of digital assets. Ho uh, hosted wallets are basically services that provide space for users to hold what's called their private keys, hold their stuff, hold their digital assets on their wallets. Um, and if that kind of hosting service allows you to also trade with somebody else, and Treasury has said, if you, if you, the wallet provider, are also the principal in a transaction where you're trading with somebody else, you're a broker. And you would have to do this kind of 1099-DA reporting at the relevant times. Um, fourth, and um, this is one that doesn't hasn't kind of gotten a lot of attention in the last two years, um, but it's sure to get more attention going forward, um, digital asset payment processors. Um, it's, it's not, I'd say ubiquitous now, but I suspect in the near future, in the next couple of years, paying for goods and services with digital assets will become a lot more common. And in doing that, there will be many, many, um, or be, there will be a lot of use of payment processors in the middle of user or buyer and the seller of a good and services. An entity that is in the middle there that takes a buyer's crypto, stable coins, what have you, and turns them into something that the seller of the good or service can take, meaning cash. Um, that middle person, that is a broker under uh, the proposed regs and would have to do 1099 reporting. And uh, finally, persons that regularly offer to redeem digital assets that were created by that person would be a broker under the reported regs. What does that mean? That generally means issuers of stable coins that um, basically would say, here is, and I'll touch on what a stable coin is in a second, but here is a stable coin, thanks for your dollar. Here's a dollar in stable coins, or here's a hundred dollars in stable coins. And by the way, this is redeemable to us on demand. Um, any entity that offers that, those stable coins to the public would be a reporting entity. Um, another one that's covered are real estate brokers who already generally do 1099 reporting uh, in certain situations. Um, if, if a real estate broker you know, sells a house um, and takes and, and transfers crypto as payment for that house, um, that, that real estate broker would be in a position to do uh, 1099 reporting. And what's notable there, even if you already have to do it, in certain situations, real estate brokers don't have to do it if they have reason to know that the proceeds to the seller are below taxable threshold, their exempt amounts. Well, if you're under those exempt amounts, but using crypto, you're now back into reporting um, because those reporting, even if you're not taxed on your gain on the house, like $500,000 or whatever, you're back to reporting uh, because there might be gain on the crypto. Uh, those are the level, of, those are the entities that are generally brought into reporting. That's what Treasury has proposed. And again, the real big one um, is, is should DeFi be um, a reporting entity? That's what people are going to hear a lot more about. Um, and that's going to be a big issue going forward in this rulemaking process. Who is not a broker? Um, over the last couple of years, um, it's, it, there's been some consternation in industry over whether validators are, are, would be considered brokers under the definition that passed in the Infrastructure Act. And Treasury has come out clearly. They've said it before, um, Senator Portman, in a letter to him a couple of years ago, but they've been very clear in the proposed regs. If you're a validator, uh, meaning a miner or a staker, depending on the proof of uh, uh, the validation protocol employed by any given blockchain, 
you, the validator, are not brokers. You don't provide the information that Treasury or the IRS needs to know where gains are associated with certain transactions. And so those guys are off the hook. That answers that question nicely. Also, um, if you're a hardware manufacturer of what's called cold wallets, if you have a wallet that can hold someone's private keys and like basically something that looks like a flash drive um, and you don't act as a principal for helping your you know, users of crypto go off and buy stuff from counterparties, you're not a broker. Um, and finally, uh, merchants, second parties in transactions, the sellers of goods and services themselves under proposed regs would not um, be brokers. Um, if you know some online seller of something comes up with a system um, that basically takes digital assets as payment for something and that entity does it itself, um, it essentially serves as its own payment processor. Um, Treasury has said you're not a you're not a seller um, because that's not what Congress passed. Finally, after timelines and the question of who is and who is not a broker, um, one of the things that kind of no one I wouldn't say saw coming, but was was kind of new to the regs beyond the discourse that we'd already been talking about before they came out is what do people have to put on. Um, what do brokers have to put on the 1099s, DAs, once they start issuing them, uh, when that comes out? And um, beyond kind of the initial stuff that one would expect, like name, address, taxpayer identification number, social security number, um, you have other things that you would expect, like name and amount of digital assets sold, sale date and time of, of a sale, because they're digital assets, you can tell exactly when transaction happens on a blockchain um, and some brokers might have to kind of look at that and say we never really tracked for traditional assets like stocks equities we don't track the time um, we track the date but not the time um, treasury has proposed okay now we got to know the time uh, for when that happens um, gross proceeds at first like we talked about and then starting in 2027 for the 2026 year um, cost basis as well and some other things that are um, kind of new to the discourse, which are treasuries asking uh, for the following information that some in the digital asset ecosystem are kind of sitting up and taking notice of, which are treasuries asking for transaction hashes, the unique identifier on a block in a blockchain that shows where in the blockchain that transaction happened. Um, that's an alphanumeric code that's unique to that block in a blockchain and that helps the IRS understand with specificity, we can go to the blockchain and look at it um, and know exactly where that was, where it came from, that sort of thing. Also being asked for our digital asset addresses. What are, what's the address? What's the public address of the wallet where these assets came from and went to or some combination of that? Um, which is public information, but um, on blockchains, which everybody can see if you have the technical capability of doing that, um, on blockchains, you have wallet addresses listed, but they don't have a person's name associated with it. It's not like John Scheneker, for a trade for my benefit, shows up on the blockchain. My wallet address would, but my name doesn't. That's the way it works. Um, and so for the first time ever, really, a government entity is asking brokers to say, all right, what's the person's name and what's their wallet address? 
um, which some people kind of sat up and took notice to like, whoa, that's that's interesting. OK. And finally, one of the things being asked for in 1099 DAs once reporting starts to happen is um, whether the seller got cash, different digital assets, non-digital asset property or services for that. So those three things are kind of the top things that we educate people on. Timelines, who is and who isn't a broker, and what are the basic things that one would put, what a broker would put on a 1099-DA if the proposed rules became finalized. Okay. I'd like to follow up on the last point. I know if I go to a store and I pay cash for something, I don't have to provide my name, address, and social security number every time I you know, go to 7-Eleven buy a Coke. If I have a crypto transaction, and whether it's you know with a, with what's considered a broker or not, there's this hashtag that's provided. But again, I don't have to provide my name, social security number, all that information. But all that's supposed to appear on the 1099, right? Or a lot of personal information. How is that going to work? Just for individuals that are engaging in crypto transactions, and aren't there some privacy concerns that? Uh, given rise at that point but what you're asking is basically um what would be described as this how in the world is it going to be possible to provide uh personal identifiable information every time you buy a cup of coffee with a digital asset um, which is a really good and important question to ask and that's a question that people have been asking a lot since the proposed rigs came out and um how that will end up looking both in the in terms of final regulations and in practice in real life, we can't say. And that's something um, Treasury has asked about. H help us kind of come up with the best seamless way um, to do this um, without kind of, you know, in all things, wrecking things, um, messing things up. Um, it, 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 I, I would actually say that Treasury's in kind of a, a novel situation with having to put um, into use um, the will of Congress. Um, Congress has said, okay, digital asset brokers, you now have to start reporting. And it's Treasury's tough job in saying exactly how to do that on a transaction by transaction basis. Digital assets are kind of, they, they, they have tremendous potential for revolutionizing finance um, throughout the United States and throughout the world. And I'm thrilled to be part of it, um, but there's some tough challenges in that. And one of them is what you touched on which is almost nine years ago now, 10 years ago now, um, the IRS came out in um, a, a, a notice saying, okay, we're treating digital assets as property, meaning they're subject to capital gains treatment if held long-term. They're like any other property that you sell. If it's less than a year, it's ordinary gain. If it's more than a year, it's capital gain. Um, and so every time you sell something, it's either a gain or a loss. Okay, well, that begs... You know, it gives rise to the question, um, what do we do if we sell something that has a gain or a loss and it's $2.39 for a small cup of coffee? Um, do we really have to like, we're not selling stocks here. And well, you we sort of are, um, but we're not because we're buying a cup of coffee. That tension is what Treasury is one of the things that Treasury is wrestling. With. How do we do that? And um, I think the notice and comment process is an excellent time for those in the field to kind of say, that's a big problem. Um, you can't, <laughs> you're not going to fill out a form that says, here's my name, um, address, and social security number every time you buy a cup of coffee. You're just not going to buy that cup of coffee. You're going to pay for it with a credit card. 
Um, and so treasuries literally said, look, we know this is a problem. And especially because in certain situations, that reporting broker might very well be the agent of your counterparty, of the seller. Um, if it's your own bank, you might you trust your bank with your money. You might also trust your bank with your social security number. But do you really want to give, and other people have asked this, do you really want to give, uh, I'm not going to pick on any entity, do you really want to give someone selling a cup of coffee your social security number? That's what Treasury is wrestling with right now. And, you know, we kind of, we have to collect taxes where due, but how do we do that without creating more difficulties than we need to? Um, and that's what they're asking for feedback on. Um, some suggestions I know that are going to be coming are going to say just, just exempt we call micropayments, um, some threshold amount, um, perhaps shouldn't be reported. We don't, you know, I'm not suggesting one way or the other, but that's the sort of thing you'll see. Or um, I, I, there are countless ways you can think of, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds and saying one way or the other, but that's a big problem that um, Treasury is wrestling with. Like how do you get people to report their gains on especially small transactions? How do we make sure that, you know, the tax gap's not being widened here while also not stifling an innovative industry? Sounds like there's a lot of treasury's going to have to figure out before these become final. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a tough job. I, 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 I tip my hat to the people in Treasury who've wrestled with this issue, continue to wrestle with this issue, because it's a tough issue. And that raises um, kind of one big issue beyond the definition of broker, beyond whether DeFi um, has to do um, tax reporting as a broker. Um, one of the big issues is a phenomenon that I kind of touched on before, um, known as stable coins. Um, for those of you who don't know, watching a stable coin is a cryptocurrency. Some would even say it's not really a cryptocurrency because its value doesn't fluctuate or isn't supposed to, um, but it's a digital asset that is intended to be pegged to the value of some other representation of value, usually some other currency. And in the United States, the currency we would obviously think about are dollar pegged stable coins. A stable coin pegged to the US dollar, perhaps obviously, is one in which I have 100 stable coins in my digital wallet. I should be able to redeem those on demand for 100 US dollars. Um, and one of the things that is, I think is likely to happen in the future, especially if Congress passes stablecoin legislation, but that's a topic for a different day, um, is Treasury has said, um, okay, one of the digital assets within that, you know, begets reporting under these proposed regs would be trades of stablecoins. Um, and that raises an interesting question of really, um, because there are situations we could see where people are paying for goods and services with stable coins um, and there is zero gain and loss on that $2.39 purchase of a cup of coffee or subway fare or something like that. Um, well, why are we reporting on that? And Treasury's answer to that so far has been, well, we get what you're trying to do here, but we also know stable coins aren't always entirely stable. There are gains to be had in arbitraging stable coins, even at what seems like a small level. This stable coin, this dollar peg stable coin is trading for 99 and a half cents over on this exchange. And you're taking a million of them and trading them over on this exchange for one dollar. You made a profit. You have to report that. And Treasury has taken the position of, OK, they're, they're digital assets and that's a reportable transaction. I think that's very fertile ground for reporting on. 
for how do you kind of help Treasury make sure that reportable transactions are captured while also not stifling innovation in the area like a would-be broker might say. We're going to have a billion transactions, maybe more, um, in our first year of stable coins, and those 1099s are going to show zero gain or loss. Um, the question then is, do you really want those? Do taxpayers really want those? One of the benefits of tax reporting isn't just IRS enforcement. Um, it also should make it tremendously easier for taxpayers to know how to accurately do their tax returns with regard to their digital asset trades. Um, you should just get 1099s, upload them into whatever software service provider you use to do your 1040, and you're done. It's a matter of seconds. Well, especially if you still do your tax return by hand, do you really want to get like 4,000 1099s showing micropayments in stablecoins because you use stablecoins seven or eight or nine, ten times a day in paying for things like coffee, subway fare, lunch at work, whatever? Um, that's also, I think, very, very fertile ground for commenting to Treasury. We see what you're doing here. Um, here's a probably a better way that would be better for the IRS, better for taxpayers, and better for us. We're not wasting resources on, you know, submitting billions and billions of 1099s that show zero gain or loss. Um, other issues that um, might be problematic. Um, and, are, and are good topics for commenting to Treasury on. Um, the brokers that we just kind of went through, different levels of brokers, it is very possible and under the proposed regs, probably likely that in any given transaction, there would be more than one broker. Treasury has defined, they haven't really changed the definition of broker in the regs or they're not proposing to change it, but they're proposing to give it more breadth in the sense that um, their definition of broker would include any entity that provides facilitative services that effectuate sales of digital assets, provided the nature of the person's service arrangement with customers is such that the person ordinarily would know or be in a position to know the identity of the party that makes the sale. Well, um, it would not, that would, that brings in a lot of people. That's a pretty wide group of entities. And um, if you're a hosted wallet provider that links up to marketplaces for your users and, um, well, maybe you're a principal in that sale and it's not entirely clear to you. So you might get seek legal advice saying, are we a broker? And the legal advice might say, yeah, we think you are. But you also know that in a lot of these transactions, there's a payment processor taking your customer's you know, assets and giving a good or service going the other direction. Well, you have what's called what we're kind of calling now a multiple broker problem. Um, and that's, I guess, a relatively simple one where there are two entities that are like, hey, should we both report on this? Should we send the IRS a bunch of duplicative information? Should we send the taxpayer a bunch of duplicative information? Um, and so one of the things that, that you know, would be helpful and notice and comment for um, Treasury would be to say, okay, you have this problem where it's, it's software, okay? You can do anything with it. An entity coming up with a novel business model can, can inject itself into the transaction, which on a business level might make it a lot easier for the consumer, but also might raise the issue of, hey, there are two or three or maybe more brokers in this transaction. Do we all have to report? And I think, you know, Treasury would, it would be helpful to Treasury if people commented on saying, you have this problem, here's how to solve this. 
And um, again, in that multiple broker problem, and again, Treasury has asked, um, please help us figure out how to get over this privacy hurdle. How do you make, sh how do you kind of, I guess, alleviate the problem of giving two or three or four, maybe more brokers your social security number? Um, it's, it's a new area. Um, you know, stocks, equities, I don't want to say they're simple, but compared to what the digital asset industry could do in revolutionizing finance, it's pretty complicated stuff and it's hard stuff. These are hard questions to answer. Um, and Treasury is wrestling with how do we bring in the information we need to know to make sure that taxes are collected and that people are getting the information they need to report accurately on their tax returns, while also not kind of overwhelming this nascent industry that could be very, very beneficial to consumers in the years to come. I'd like to call on your expertise from your days at the Hill and working with people at Treasury and, and people on the tax writing committees and, and ask you this. If there's someone who's listening here who has a concern and wants to submit a comment or wants to be involved in the process, what's the most effective way to do that? Just based on your extensive experience, how would you go about doing it and what's the way to make it done effective? Well, anybody can comment on anything they want. And on, under the Administrative Procedure Act, um, Treasury officials are required to read all relevant, what they call relevant comments. Um, and they generally nowadays acknowledge them in you know, the preamble language of final regulations. The most, as someone who has written comments and notice and comment processes before. Um, I've never worked in like the rulemaking capacity in a government agency in the executive branch. Um, but the most, from my perspective, the most effective thing um, commenting entities can do, people who want to submit comments, is um, if you really hate something, and these, to be honest, these regulations are really unpopular with a lot of people, which is understandable. Um, and there will be um, a hard inclination to to just say they're bad um, or to say, um, you know, you shouldn't do this or a host of other things that um, express negative sentiment toward that. Um, Treasury knows they're going to get a lot of that and that's part of their job. Um, but the most effective thing um, you can do is say, you have this issue. You have a job of implementing the will of Congress. And that the will of Congress in the Infrastructure Act is to make digital asset brokers do 1099 reporting. Um, you have a tough job in, in getting it to work as seamlessly as possible. Um, let us help you. You're trying to do this. You're doing it in X way. We, we think as experts in this field that that's not the best way. We see what you're trying to do, but try it this way instead. It will make things easier for the IRS. It'll make things easier for cust our customers, taxpayers, and it will make things easier for us. We won't spend more resources than we need to to do it that way. Um, in my, you know, if you ask Treasury, they're not, there's a lot of kind of like uh, um, feeling that Treasury is making the, these rules. And what they would say is, well, we are, but we're just implementing the will of Congress. Congress has made these rules and we're just doing it as best as we can um, because we have to make it work. Um, in my experience, um, whether people are that, that 
I don't want to say there's never an agenda um, in rulemaking. I'm sure there is plenty of rules. Um, but um, as someone who's worked kind of behind the scenes, more often than, than skeptics realize, um, policymakers are just trying to make things work well. Um, and um, that's pretty clear from these regulations. In the middle of this 282 pages, they're, they, they, they listed out about 51 questions that they gathered up from earlier in the description of what they proposed doing to kind of make it easy to say, these are things, to summarize it for you, these are things that we really need help on. If you are an expert in this area, please give us a good explanation of how this works and how it can be made to work most efficiently. Um, and that's really what's helpful. I would also, just in my experience, um, recommend that you know, commenters not treat that as like a homework assignment where they have to answer all 51 questions. If you don't know, if you're not an expert, then don't answer it. But if you're an expert in this one, this one, this one, and this one, that's something that can be beneficial to people coming up with the rules. Because kind of in my experience, they want to make it work well. They want to make it so that, you know, things work better for consumers and taxpayers. And, um, you know, matter, no matter what your politics are or anything like that, most government officials just want to do their jobs well, want to be seen as competent. And, you know, there's a lot of anger at these regulations, which should be acknowledged. But um, I also think a lot of thought went into doing them. And I think a lot of thought continues to need to be done. And um, so regulations in, or comments in that way would be most helpful. You've given us a lot of information about these very complex regulations. Is there anything else that you think is important to, uh, that you really want to raise about, uh, about the regs or what the state of play or you know, what's going to happen next? I would just say that um, Treasury knows these are, you know, the, the, the writers at the IRS, the drafters of these at the IRS and Treasury know these are significant regulations. Um, they have, they don't have to under the law, but they've offered up, um, a hearing on bigger regulation packages. Um, stakeholders can come in and, and, you know, just, just kind of basically repeat what they comment on. Um, that hearing is at 1111 uh, Constitution, the IRS headquarters on November 7th. And Treasury has said, you know, we might do it November 8th too, in case demand is very high for commenting. Um, that's how seriously they take this. Um, and so that's what's next. And that's, I think, a reflection of how seriously um, they take this and um, we'll continue taking it going forward. Well, John, I want to thank you very much uh, for sharing your expertise and also clearly your deep study of these proposed regulations and your, your serious thinking about uh, where we're headed in this, in this industry and uh, with the reporting requirements for brokers. So thank you very much for coming with us. And thank you for listening. This is tax Produced by Heartcast Media.